0: Oh, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. I uh, just wanted to add my welcome to those of you who are new to First City. Uh, welcome, and we're glad that you're here jumping into to this series with us. Uh, so we are in week three of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, this was perhaps the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. So he sat down with his disciples and began to instruct them on what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And for us today, these words are important because they define for us what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We don't define this ourselves. We don't kind of make this up as we go along. We follow the instruction of our Lord, of our Savior, of our King. And so in this sermon, we find some very important definition of what it means to follow Christ. And so we're doing this study so we can grow in our faithfulness and obedience to Christ and just to have have more of a sense of, hey, this is who we are in Jesus. This is our identity. Um, And so we are uh, in a study I've been looking at the first section of this uh, sermon, which is known as the Beatitudes, and these are a series of blessings that Jesus pronounces on those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is what a, a, a citizen of the kingdom looks like. Those that have the right heart and the right obedience to experience the blessing that Jesus has pronounced. And so uh, this, again, gives us definition of what it means to have a heart postured correctly towards the Lord and what, what a right heart, to when postured before the Lord correctly, what that will trans, uh, translate into as far as how one lives their life. And so this morning, we're going to focus on another two of these Beatitudes. And here's, here's how I want to introduce these. I want to sort of set the stage with this context. So a military superpower under constant threat from international terrorists... A government run by an egotistical, womanizing leader who harshly and brutally confronts and deals with his opponents. Military and law enforcement that has a reputation of being harsh and heavy-handed. Domestic terrorists and other marginalized citizens groups threatening social peace. Racial tensions that exist just under the surface but often flare, out, flare up into outright hostility. Problematic tax laws and challenges with health care hypocritical religious leaders more in love with wealth, status, and cozying up to powerful people than with faithfulness to God and serving others? Am I describing the United States in 2017 or first century Jerusalem under Roman occupation? Remarkable similarity between Jesus's context when he gives this Sermon on the Mount and our world today. Just like in our time, Jesus' time was a culture full of conflict and hostility. Where power and control and status, comfort and wealth were often gained, too often at the expense of others. Where it was a, I got to get mine because if I don't, no one's going to give it to me and they'll take it from me kind of attitude. And into this culture of hostility, Jesus speaks these words, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And so for us in a society shot through with hostility and sinful anger and striving for power and control, Jesus' disciples are called to be radically different. In a society that lacks mercy, we are called to be merciful. And in a society that lacks peace and often ruins peace, We are called to be peacemakers. And so this is going to be our focus this morning as we continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the main idea I want us to all internalize. Disciples of Jesus show mercy and are peacemakers because God is merciful and makes peace. So let's start by defining our terms here. So in scripture, mercy is closely associated with grace. And sometimes people use these terms interchangeably because they're so closely related. In many ways, to show mercy is to also show grace, and to show grace is also to show mercy. However, they are distinct concepts. Grace has to do with showing undeserved favor. While mercy and to be merciful is to show compassion to one in need or helpless distress or in debt and without claim to favorable treatment. So here's another way to frame it. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. And both are closely tied to forgiveness. But grace is more particularly associated with being granted from forgiveness from guilt and receiving the favor of acceptance and love. Mercy is more closely associated with being rescued from the misery and consequences of sin. And so disciples of Jesus are called to show mercy, meaning when sinned against, we are ready to forgive. We don't grind people down and say, you're going to get everything that you deserve when you sin against me. Disciples of Jesus also aren't indifferent to the pain and misery they've seen around them. They see pain and they see suffering caused by sin, and they're moved with compassion. So that's mercy. Now for peace. In Scripture, the word peace has this idea of completeness, soundness, well-being, and is often associated with righteousness and justice and truth and goodness So another way to think about peace is, peace is to be at rest because one is in complete harmony with righteousness and truth. And peace is multi-layered. When scripture speaks of peace, it speaks with peace between man and God. It speaks of inner peace, so peace within ourselves. It speaks about peace among God's people. And then it also speaks of peace in the world. And so Jesus Jesus' disciples are called to be peacemakers. And because disciples are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we learned last week, they desire the rest that comes when one is in complete harmony with righteousness and truth. And so they intentionally pursue peace. They pursue peace with God, both for themselves and for others. They go after inner peace, that our inner world is brought to peace by God, and they want to see others experience that inner peace. They pursue peace among the people of God and want to see the people of God in unity. And they also care about peace within our world. And so disciples of Jesus are called to show mercy and be peacemakers. Let's do an initial self-assessment here. Do you show mercy? Do you show mercy when your spouse sins against you? Do you show mercy when your child sins against you? How about when you're sinned against at work or your neighbor annoys you once again? Or how many times is this going to happen over the next month and a half where we drive around the parking lot for 20 minutes trying to find a parking spot and we find one and someone takes it? Are we going to show that person mercy? Are you merciful with those who are broken and in misery in our city because of their own sin? Do you look on them with compassion? Are you a peacemaker? Are you at peace with God? Do do you have peace internally? Or is your world chaotic? Are you at peace among the people of God and those you live in community with? Are you at peace with the world around you? Because if we're honest... We are more disciples of the religious and political leaders of Jesus' day than we are of Jesus. See, the political and religious leaders of Jesus' day were anything but merciful, and they certainly weren't after peace as God defines it. The religious leaders were more concerned with their own appearance and status. They wanted to be seen as great, they wanted to be seen as those who keep themselves undefiled from the stain of sin and the dirt and grime of this world. They kept all the rules. They followed all the rituals. And that others were in misery because of their own sin. Well, that's their fault. Sinners get what they deserve. Like the religious leaders were like, hey, I keep the rules. I gain my status. I earn all the favor. And so if you're in the misery of your own sin, what does that have to do with me? Why should I care? Here was their problem. Here was their deep set heart problem. They didn't see themselves as those who were in need of mercy. Oh, everybody else is in need of mercy, but not me. I got this. And for the political leaders of Rome, peace was accomplished not through righteousness and truth, but with brutal enforcement of laws. Mercy, that's a recipe for social disorder. Violence, fear, extortion, oppression, these are what kept the peace. Oh, you want peace in the world? Well, the Roman Senate, with the power of the Roman Legion, We'll take care of that. And it is so easy, isn't it, to judge these religious and political leaders. It's so easy to sort of peer into the pages of scripture and go, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. I'm not like those people. Well, you may not be a Roman political leader, but how often, instead of showing mercy to your spouse or mercy to your kids, you go to sinful anger and control. Like, you sin against me, and I'll show you. You sin against me and the hammer's fallen. Because you, you, you feel the sense like if I show mercy here, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to lose control of my spouse. I'm going to lose control of my kid. I'm going to lose control of kind of the order in my home, this kind of the, the, the stability that I want. Well, I can't show mercy. I'll lose respect. And so, honey, you sin against me. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it till I feel better. Oh, how often are you tempted to do that at work, to go at your coworker? And, you know, Maybe it's not super outward, but it, inside you're like, oh, I'm going to make you pay. Just wait. How often do we do this in just the small interactions throughout our day? Anytime someone annoys us, anytime someone sins against us, it's like, oh, you're going to feel the full consequences in whatever way I can make you feel the consequences. And here's what we're doing in those moments we are saying this, you have violated the holy awesomeness of me. And how dare you violate the holy awesomeness of me? A bit ridiculous, right? But yet that's what we practically do in the moment. We are setting ourselves up as the be-all and end-all, and how dare you violate that? And then we couch it in, well, I care about righteousness and goodness. I care about doing the right thing. Well, you've substituted you as the standard of righteousness and goodness. So we're really good at playing the part, really good at sort of setting up our righteousness and our standard as the thing. And you may not be a religious leader of Jesus' day, but how do you view the misery of others in their sin? When you see the homeless, when you see the drug addicts, when you see the single mom on welfare or less dramatic, you have the friend who seems to always be in spousal conflict or always seems to be in some kind of financial crisis or their kids always seem to be getting in trouble or maybe they're, they're bouncing around on this diet and that diet and this one. Whatever it is, you kind of look at the misery that they're in and go, yeah, you deserve that. It's your fault. Get it together. How often do we look at people in the misery of their sin and don't have compassion on them, but we get to, we start judging them. Why can't you get it together like me? And we think we start to go, hey, do these things, follow these rules, and you won't have to deal with the misery. And and let's be clear. Yes, sin does bring misery. Sin does bring consequences. But your consequences may not be as material. They may not be as obvious. Maybe you don't have the same mess and the same problems that your friends and those around you do, but do you think you're any less of a sinner in any less of need of God's mercy and forgiveness than they are? See, our sin may not display itself in homelessness or drug addiction or in a whole litany of destroyed relationships. We may have all of the sort of the outward trappings of having it together, but our sin brings misery to ourselves and to others. And so whether you are a homeless drug addict prostitute living on the street, or you are the perfect family with the car and the job and the education and everything is great and sunny in your world, you are still a sinner in need of the mercy of God. And it's when we fail to see this that we fail to show mercy as Christ has called us. Or how about the ways that we fail to be peacemakers? And the first one, and some of you may be thinking that's what I'm doing right now, is piling on. (laughs) Rather than pursuing peace, we are actually energized by conflict. Ever, Ever felt that in your heart? Someone comes to you with some bit of conflict and you're like, oh yeah, let's go. Let's argue, let's debate, let's let's get into this. I I, I like a good row, I like a good argument, I, I wanna I wanna fight, yeah, sure. I love ranting. Let's do that. And so we pile on, we add to the conflict, we, we fan the flame of conflict. Or rather than pursuing peace, we pursue gossip. Like rather than going to the person that we have an issue with, we're going to pile on by going to someone else and telling them about all the junk that they've done and all the ways that they've hurt me. Or conversely, we love hearing gossip. Oh, give me the juicy gossip. Tell me about that person. Because we love being in the know and the power it brings. We love being able to judge someone from a distance. We love the self-righteousness that it, it allows us to feel in the moment. And so we pile on. Or we can be passive. We confuse being a peacemaker with a peacekeeper. See, peacekeepers avoid conflict. They minimize sin and will not confront problems. Peacekeeping isn't based on righteousness and truth. It's based on safety and comfort. They will never rock the boat. They'll let the boat rot. They don't deal with the pain and frustration in their own internal world. And so they're passive. Or perhaps you're particular, meaning in order to be at peace with you, you make people jump through a bunch of hoops. I'm not talking about the good and right processes of reconciliation and the things that may have to happen in order for that to to take place. I'm talking about the extra burdens you put on people in order to maintain control of them and can continually remind them of the things they've done to you and keep them in your debt. And so we get particular with people and add rules. Or with ourselves, we start adding all these legalistic rules. i got to do all of these things in order to feel at peace with God. Or finally, we get pushy. This is forced, superficial peace. This is peace that glosses over sin and conflict, never really deals with the issues. This is, I need you to reconcile with me right now because I don't like the way that I feel. And so I'm, I just want to bypass the process. This may take time and it may be painful, but no, let's just get things right right now because I don't like the way I feel and move on with life. And so you get pushy. Or this is peace maintained, as we said before, through anger in domination, and control, using fear and intimidation. Don't rock the boats and upset the peace or you'll feel my wrath. So we can pile on, we can get passive, we can get particular, we can get pushy. And so we are so often disciples of the religious political leaders of Jesus' day. We have no room to judge them. There's no blessing in this path either It isn't blessed are the angry, unmerciful control freaks who are self-righteous. It isn't blessed are those who pile on, are passive, are particular, and pushy. And the heart of our problem is our hearts. The heart of our problem is that inside our hearts are full of sin. Look, you and me, you and me, we're rebels by nature. Not good guy rebels like in Star Wars, bad guy rebels, we have rebelled against a holy and good and just God. And because of that, our hearts are full of selfishness and conceit. We are greedy, we're prideful, we're angry, we're faithless, we're dishonest and self-righteous. Because of these things, we stand guilty before God as his enemies. In our sin, we will stand before God as his enemy because God is holy he is completely righteous, completely loving, completely good, and just. He doesn't just keep the standards of these things, He is the standard of these things. And so, for us to violate a standard is to violate the very character of God. And we have no excuses. We have no way to justify ourselves. We have no way to personally atone for our sins. Our hearts are not merciful. And they don't deserve mercy. Our hearts do not desire peace. And we don't deserve peace with God. And so, when we consider the call to be merciful and the call to be peacemakers, we have to look squarely in the mirror and recognize that in our hearts, in and of ourselves, this is not us, this is not who we are. We need redemption, we need rescuing, we need transformation. And this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that though we are unmerciful and do not deserve mercy, though we have broken peace with God and we dealt with each other, and we don't deserve peace, God is merciful. God is the righteous judge. And yes, he judges sin, but he doesn't leave us to our sin and our misery. He is merciful for us. He has rescued us from that misery and provided a means for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Here's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 tells us about God's mercy. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Remember we talked about this at the beginning of our uh, Reformation series. We're in our sin, we're dead spiritually, and we are a mess. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Nothing in there about us earning it. It's because of God's mercy and his love for us. Look, mercy by definition is undeserved. Through Christ, God has shown you mercy. You and I, sinners, deserving God's wrath and punishment, but in Christ, God forgave us. Christ took that punishment that you and I deserve. God was unmerciful to Christ so he could be merciful to you and me. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of God's mercy. Here also is the good news that the Lord is not indifferent to your sin and your misery. This is what Psalm 103 8 through 14 tells us. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, amen, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord doesn't look at you in your sin and your misery and go, you deserve it. Just wallow in that sin. Stay there. He doesn't look at you and go, well, you made your bed. Lie in it. He looks at us in our sin, and our weakness, wallowing in our misery, completely incapable of saving ourselves. And he has love and compassion towards us and he rescues us. The Lord is not indifferent to your misery, but has been merciful to you in Christ. He is the father who runs to the prodigal son and welcomes him home. He's not the father that says, go live with the pigs because that's what you deserve. He runs, welcomes loves, extends mercy. And you know, the Lord delights in showing us mercy. He loves to show us mercy, as Micah seven eighteen tells us. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God, mercy isn't a drudge for the Lord. His showing you mercy isn't something like, ah, oh, I suppose I'll do it. If I have to, it's not like, oh, since you twisted my arm, I'll do it. he delights. He loves to show mercy. It brings him joy to show you mercy. So disciples of Jesus show mercy because God is merciful. Disciples of Jesus see their poverty of spirit, that they need mercy. And because they've been shown a great mercy by God, that leads them to want to show mercy to others. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy, he isn't saying you earn God's mercy by being merciful yourselves. As I said, mercy is a gift by nature undeserved. We can't earn it. But Jesus says when those who have truly experienced the mercy of God in their souls and been transformed by the mercy of God, what will that do? It will cause them to be merciful. And so disciple of Jesus if you find yourself being unmerciful to others, could it be it's because you've lost sight of the mercy God has extended to you? In Christ, God has also brought peace to us and this world. The Old Testament teaches that the Messiah will bring peace, and the New Testament declares that with the coming of Christ, God has brought his peace to the world. And so through Christ, we have peace with God, as Romans 5.1 tells us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, the enmity between us and God, that we were enemies, that sin that stood between us, that debt that stood between us. Through Christ, God is removed. Christ paid that full punishment for you and I. He's paid the debt. He's taken away the things that have caused God and us to be enemies. The offense that we have committed against a holy and just God, Christ has dealt with. The debt is paid. The hostility ended. Your sin has been defeated. We're defeated rebels, praise God. It's good to be a defeated rebel, to come under the gracious reign of a good and just king. And so now you're no longer an enemy. You're a child, an heir, loved and accepted by the Father because of Christ. And now that we have peace with God, God brings order and calm and peace to our inner world. As Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in the context of that passage, what causes us to experience the peace of God is rejoicing in the goodness of God and continually praying and trusting in him. And so when when you belong to God and God has given you his spirit the more that you rejoice in his goodness and trust in him, the more God's taking the chaos of your world and fitting it together and bringing soundness and wholeness to it. Saying trust in me, rest in me, I am the one who brings peace to your chaos. And in Christ, God brought peace among his people. As Ephesians 2:14 through 16 says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ has not only brought peace between us and God, he's brought peace among each other. People of God, Christ has purchased our peace. So hear me on this. Our peace isn't built on affinity. It's not built on shared political values, shared economic status, shared ethnicity, shared ways that we school our kids, shared gender, all the things that that we sort of are drawn to in in and of ourselves. The peace between God's people is Christ. It's Jesus. He purchased that for us. And so he has brought us into unity. Unity people from every nation and ethnicity, rich, poor, young, old, male, female, kids, adults, all of that diversity is brought into unity because of Christ. And so because of Christ, differences should never divide. And the peace of Christ, finally, also impacts all of creation. As Colossians 1:19 through 20 tells us, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So all the hostility of our world, all the enmity, all the strife, all the fighting, all the wars through Jesus Christ will be brought to an end. All the natural disasters and how nature is out of whack and there's conflict within nature and it's, it's just disordered and unstable through Jesus Christ, that will be brought to a place of peace. Through Jesus Christ, the entire creation will experience peace, wholeness, soundness, all strife, disease, death, violence brought to an end. And so through Christ, God has brought full, true, and lasting peace. And when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. It's because when we are peacemakers, we are reflecting the very nature of God. We are taking on the family resemblance. We are like our father who is a peacemaker. And so because God is merciful and because he makes peace, those who belong to him, those who are disciples of Jesus, are empowered to show mercy and be a peacemaker. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus because God has been merciful to you, you're now called and empowered to show mercy in your life, in your homes, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your kids, in your job, with your neighbors. You are called and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be merciful, to show mercy, to show forgiveness when people sin against you. This doesn't mean we shrug off everything and that there are never consequences to sin. But even when we 're sinned against, and there are consequences to that, we are never without compassion we 're always extending compassion to people we 're never trying to get every ounce out of them. We also aren 't indifferent to the misery of those locked in sin in our church and our world. we don't look at those who have been broken by repeated sin and just kind of go, you're on your own. No, we go and we show mercy. We show compassion. We care that they're in that state. We care that they're broken. We care that they are in misery. And we go and we show mercy and we show love and want them to be rescued from that by the power of God. And look, there is great blessing in showing mercy. To To quote Shakespeare in The Merchant of Venice, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Look, showing mercy more deeply connects us to the mercy of God we've experienced and sets us free from being hard-hearted. It sets us free from that selfishness and pride and self-righteousness. So to extend mercy blesses us because we experience the freedom of the gospel. And it also points others to a greater love and mercy that God has shown to us in Christ. And it blesses others that they may experience some relief from the misery of their sin in hopes that they would experience even greater relief through the mercy of God. If you are a disciple of Jesus, Because God has made peace with you. You are now called and empowered to be a peacemaker. And here is how we want to do that first. Being a peacemaker means we're proactive. We want people first who are far from Christ. Those who do not know Jesus. We want them to be at peace with God. So we share the gospel. We share the gospel in this city. We carry that message of a gospel of peace and reconciliation with God to our world. We also learn to trust the Lord more so that our inner world is brought to peace. We don't just sort of, ah, yeah, my inner world's chaos. I'm just going to walk around and kind of leave it at that. No, we work for it because the Lord has offered that to us. He's promised us peace. And so we chase after him. We rejoice in him. We pray to him. We cry out to him that our inner world may be brought to a sense of peace. We are also proactive in this way. As Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 tells us, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are proactive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look, Christ purchased this peace for us. He purchased this unity, but he calls us to protect it, guard it, cherish it, Look, peace is costly, as we're going to see in a second. And so Christ calls us to guard that. And so we guard that by running at the tension. Like when I'm in conflict with someone, I don't just leave it there. I go to them. I humbly and patiently go to them and say, hey, you've sinned against me. Or, hey, this hurt when you said that. Like there's something between us. I'm feeling some tension here. And I need to address that. We don't run to someone else and say, hey, this person over here hurt me and I'm feeling really bad about that. If we do that, hopefully it's to be encouraged to go back and tell someone else. And, and conversely, look, if someone's running to you and spilling all the dirt on somebody, the first move you need to make is this. Hey, love you. Have you talked to that person about that yet? No, no, no. I haven't. But hey, I'm going to stop you right there. Tell me about it. But we're going to talk about what it looks like for you to go to this person. And we're going to put a timetable on that. And I'm going to check in with you. And so people are bringing their junk to you about someone else, guard the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace means you're encouraging them. Hey, go deal with it. Be proactive. And so we don't let things fester. We don't, we're not Passive. We're not retreating into kind of our own wounded world and just festering and getting angry and letting that bond of peace break within the church because that stuff spreads and it spreads and it spreads and churches are destroyed when there isn't peace among the people of God. And so we are proactive because of what Christ has done. And so church, First City Church members, let me speak to you first, be proactive If you are a disciple of Jesus, be proactive. Peacemaking is also costly. This is the hard part of it. The cost to bring us peace, peace to us and peace to our world, was nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so true peace costs, it requires sacrifice, it requires us laying down our rights. It means we're going to have to get uncomfortable. Either the uncomfortableness of going and confronting somebody or the uncomfortableness of having someone tell us we've sinned against them. We have to be humble and recognize that I have to lay aside my rights. I have to lay aside my propensity to self-justify and defend. I have to do the hard work of reconciliation that may take time. I may have to live with the tension of something not being quite resolved for a long time, but I'm committed to working through that. That's costly. That is hard. We may have to live with the irony of actually being called a jerk when we're trying to pursue peace. Sometimes that happens. The one pursuing peace is actually the one that's called the, 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 the troubler, the disturber of the peace. oh, we are going to have to fight back against hiding, against gossiping, against self-righteous posturing. Look, if, if pursuing peace doesn't feel at some level like, oh, I've just had to like die to something, then you probably aren't getting at the level of peace God has called you to. But in our peacemaking, we are proactive, It is costly, but we are hopeful. We know what the trajectory of history is. It's headed towards peace. It's headed towards reconciliation. It's headed towards God bringing all of creation under his good and righteous and just rule. And so, in our work for peace, though it is costly, though it is hard, though we need to be proactive, though we need the Spirit of God, look, we're standing in the trajectory in the wave of history. That's the way things are moving. And so it's a good place to be standing. It's a a good momentum to have. Your efforts are not in vain. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a blessing on you. God is pleased with your efforts. You are bearing the family resemblance. And so let me encourage you, church, to be merciful because God has been rich in mercy to us. And be a peacemaker because God, through Jesus Christ, has brought peace. Amen.